Welcome into Hitting Hard with John Chuckery here in Locked On Sports Atlanta. Today on the show, a helping hand, which will be better, and the other Arthur spoke. It's all next. It's Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked On Sports Atlanta. This is Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, part of Locked On Sports Atlanta, and it starts now. Hitting Hard is part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Get the latest episodes of Hitting Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the SiriusXM app as well. And give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH316. So the trade deadline has come and gone. The Braves did make a move, maybe not as many moves as what we thought, and I thought it was interesting that they did not pick up a starting pitcher in all of this, but they did get some more relief help. And in the form of Brad Hand, who has been a major league closer, been a three-time all-star in uh, the big leagues, multiple all-star games for the San Diego Padres, for the Cleveland uh, Indians. Um, this year, he's 3-1 and one with a 454 ERA. 35 and two-thirds innings pitched, only four home runs that he's given up. And the big thing about him is, again, providing some lefty action out of the bullpen. A couple of the, the, the numbers that stand out to me when you look at Brad Hand. Number one is the 41 strikeouts in 35 innings. So in 41 strikeouts, 35 and two-thirds innings, that's 10.3 strikeouts per nine innings so we know he gets contact by you know swing and miss no no or i should say he gets outs without contact via the swing and the miss so he's a good strikeout pitcher so again he can help you there and the big thing about him is that lefties are hitting 143 versus him this year and as we've seen minter have his struggles and different things you know and again his home record hasn't been, you know, as good, but um, this gives you a little bit more insurance in the bullpen for it with a Brad hand to where you've got that lefty kind of stopper, right? Now, again, I'm not looking him, you know, he's been a major league closer. I think he's had as many as 34 saves in a season previously. I'm not looking at him to come in and try to close games, but he can be tough on left-handers and he gets plenty of outs without any contact. So that's two good things that the Braves need and, and sign me up all day long, you know, for all of this. And they gave away basically next to nothing, you know, for all of this. So I am a little bit surprised though, that they did not pick up a starting pitcher at the end of the day and, um, and, and get themselves a little bit more depth in their rotation. But it is a good sign that we're thinking that, okay, Max Fried is most likely going to join the team in Chicago when they go there this weekend to play the Cubs, most likely he's going to be there and he's going to get a chance to pitch maybe Friday night, maybe as soon as Friday night. So again, I, I got no issue or no problem with what double a did. Um, I might be wanted a little bit more, but having a guy like Brad hand, who's got a lot of experience, he's been a closer, but he is a lefty specialist. I got no problem with that. And you added one more piece. And again, obviously they had added a couple of pieces to their bullpen and Johnson and the kid from Texas, you know, again, adding some more pieces. So 
Do I feel like that? Here's the big thing. Do I feel like anybody has gotten better to overtake the Atlanta Braves? No, no, I don't think anybody's gotten better. You know, again, the Texas Rangers and the Oakland, or sorry, the Texas Rangers and um, uh, the Houston Astros were the two teams that made the big splashy moves, but I don't know that they're necessarily better. But again, you don't have to worry about that. You know, they're the American League. You don't have to worry about that. And by the way, how big of a joke was it that Justin Verlander had 16 starts for the New York Mutts and ended up having a, they ended up paying almost $52 million to have him walk away. Kind of funny. I mean, that that's what the Mutts do. So, so again, I got no issue with what the Braves did. We had talked weeks ago about the idea of if they didn't do anything at the deadline, would you be upset? Well, again, they added some bullpen help. They did not add another starter. They feel like that they've got enough starting pitching, um, and time will tell, right? I mean, that was a bugaboo last year in the playoffs where Max Fried was having stomach issues. Spencer Strider wasn't healthy, and, you know, we basically limped into our, you know, the playoffs with our starting pitching. Hopefully things work themselves out this year. Hopefully Max Fried is good to go and he's ready to rock and roll and he's going to come back and be a force. And, again, eventually at some point we will see Kyle Wright. I would assume that we will see Kyle Wright at some point this year. So again, they feel like that they have enough starting pitching, you know, with the young guys they have and with the seasons at elder and Strider. And again, you saw Strider last night, he was magnificent. You know, that was a very good bounce back win for Strider. Maybe he didn't strike out as many guys, you know, as he normally does where he only had nine strikeouts and he had 44 strikeouts in his last four starts, but he didn't give up any home runs. Didn't give up a lot of hits Certainly didn't give up any, you know, runs to speak of, just the one run that he gave up. And that was a really good performance for Strider. And what was a bounce back performance for him? Because, again, it had been a little bit rough. He'd given up 11 runs in his last three starts, and he'd given up five homers over that time as well. So, again, all good news, but let's hope that we have enough starting pitching. Because, again, at this point, there are no more moves. There's no more, you know, they don't have that old waiver deadline thing and stuff like that where, Guys can clear waivers, right? You know, in the past when Alex Rodriguez or Manny Ramirez has been put on the waiver wire, you know, that the, a team could pick him up if they wanted to, if they, you know, decided to do all that, those days are gone now. So your trade deadline is your trade deadline at this point. The guys you have are the guys that you have. And certainly the Braves have plenty. Certainly the Braves have enough, whether it's pitching, whether it's hitting, Again, I, I feel comfortable about the fact of where we are in all of this. So I thought the hand move was good. I like the idea. I like the idea of him being a lefty specialist, you know, out there. Johnson's done a couple of decent things. I mean, again, he's not going to blow away the world, but he's had a couple of decent, you know, outings for this team coming over from Colorado. So all good. Now we're ready to rock and roll, right? Now we're actually past the trade deadline and and we're moving forward. And again, you know, they'll be in Chicago this weekend to take on the Cubs, take on Dansby Swanson and the Cubs. And again, this is the squad that we're going to roll with. So no problem, no issues with what Double A did. Uh, I, I think I certainly look at this team as they're the best team in Major League Baseball by, by a pretty good margin right now. Now, again, when you get into the playoffs and things like that, certainly things can definitely change, you know, with what happens in the playoffs. I mean, that's a whole nother animal. but as of right now, I think the Braves did enough to satisfy me. Like I said, 
The only other thing that would have been would have been maybe a, a a starter that they wanted to mix in. But I think they feel with Elder, Strider, Morton, <clears throat> now Max Fried going to be back in the mix. Maybe it's a sign that Kyle Wright will be back sooner than later. Maybe I'm just kind of reading the tea leaves, you know, that, that he might be back at some point sooner than later. And obviously they have some of their young guys, again, the Schusters and guys like that of the world that they can put in there into a fifth spot. So if Max Fried can come back healthy, that's also a big almost trade deadline type of acquisition where we plop an ace down right in the middle of our rotation, plop a guy in who is the best left-hander in baseball and just drop him into the rotation. All good news. So I like the hand move. I think it was a good move to do. I mean, again, help out A.J. Minter, have another lefty in that bullpen, have a left-handed specialist, a guy who doesn't give up many home runs. No problem with what Alex Anthopoulos did in this. So, again, the Braves are ready to roll, and they won last night and found a way. So now let's beat the uh, Angels two out of three and then head off to Chicago and take on the Cubs. All right, this episode is brought to you by FanDuel. As you know, FanDuel is America's number one sports book. And obviously, as we're in the Major League Baseball season, now we're past the deadline. FanDuel is giving you a chance to win as much as $200 in bonus bets on your bet, where if you bet 20 bucks, you can get as much as $200 in bonus bets, whether you win or whether you lose. That's $200 you can spend on betting on everything from money lines to prop bets to who you think is going to hit the first home run. And obviously, FanDuel is a safe, secure, super easy to use app. But most importantly is when you win, you get paid instantly. That's the best part, right? That's the part that everybody wants to know about. So no better place to bet on Major League Baseball than on FanDuel as America's number one sports book. So Head to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn today. That's FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N to get up to $200 in bonus bets. That's FanDuel.com slash LockedOn. FanDuel.com slash L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N. FanDuel's the official partner of Major League Baseball. So which one will be better? So I asked this question to my radio audience last night, and I certainly want to have a comment left by you as to which one you think is going to be better. If I ask who's going to be better, the Falcons defensive line or the Falcons secondary, which one do you think is going to be better? Okay. Now, I in my mind, I take the secondary in this equation. So a couple of reasons why. So first off, I think that the upside potential of the secondary has more players to be good back there. We know A.J. Terrell can be one of the better corners. We've seen Jesse Bates be a second-team all-pro safety. And if Jeff Okuda can be a guy that lives up to the hype and things, then again, there's a lot more potential in that in that back. And then I think when you look at some of the other guys that they have, Clark Phillips is doing good things in camp. Mike Hughes is a guy who can be that nickel corner. He's also returning punts uh, for this team. Um, when you look at the depth of Hawkins and Grant and, and guys that give you some depth at the safety position, I like what the upside is of this. And when I compare it to the defensive line, and it's not a matter of that they're not coached well or anything like that, but I'm going to factor in the Jerry Gray factor as well. And I've talked about on the show repeatedly that 
Jerry Gray, I think, was the low-key best move that the Falcons made in the offseason. He's an excellent defensive backs coach. Again, Jair Alexander talks, you know, wonders about him. And you've already seen guys in this secondary talking about how much of an impact he's had. And in 2010, when he was the defensive backs coach for um, the Seattle Seahawks, they had a couple of rookie safeties in Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. I think those guys worked out pretty well. I think they, I think they found a way to, to be pretty good. So again, I just like the combination of what the secondary has to offer. The problem about the defensive line is there are still plenty of questions. You know, I was talking with Steve Weish last night and he said, look, you know, again, their secondary could be really good and be improved and everything, but you're not going to be able to cover for five or six seconds if you can't get to the quarterback. And I agree. I've talked about this many times on the show that, look, there is no such thing as coverage sacks. In today's NFL, when you have four, five, six guys running around in patterns, catching passes, you're not going to get coverage sacks. You're not going to be able to cover everybody that comes out in an NFL offense nowadays. It's not 1978 where two wide receivers are running out of a pattern and maybe a tight end or a running back that splits out, and that's what you've got. Nowadays, you have to play five and six defensive backs because they spread you all out and they run all over the field. You can't do that in today's NFL. You're not going to have got. You're not going to have enough guys that can cover everybody for five or six seconds if you can't get home to the quarterback. And so again, that defensive front, while it's improved and it certainly does have more personnel on it than we've seen in years, it still has a lot of questions. You know, I'm big on Arnold Ebicady, but if he can't be a guy that gets off the edge and, and creates a bunch of havoc for you know opposing quarterbacks, then where do we turn to? You know, are we turning to Lorenzo Carter? Are we turning to Caden Ellis to be that guy? You know, are we turning to to Calais Campbell? You know, I don't I don't know that the guarantee of upside is there at the same level that the secondary is. I know AJ Terrell is a really good cornerback. I think last year was a hiccup. I think he gets back to what he was a couple of years ago, and I think he's one of the better corners in the league. And now he's got some help and Jeff Okuda on one side, and obviously with Grant Hawkins and uh, Jesse Bates all at safety, though that rotation of guys and Mike Hughes helping back there, I think that that helps him even more. So, again, I like our defensive line, but I still have questions about what's the real upside to it. What, what, like, what is, where, where is the, the floor and the ceiling of that group? And I'm not talking about even the inside offensive, or sorry, defensive line. Onyamata, Grady, those guys will be fine, and they'll blow plays up or whatever. But again, you know, if you can't get off the edge and get that fire breather coming off the edge, at, at, you know, to sack the quarterback, then I don't know where your defensive line is. And you're going to put a lot of pressure on your secondary if it works itself out to where those guys are having to run around and try to cover everybody for a length of time. If you can't get home, it's going to be tough. And it's still my biggest question mark about the Atlanta Falcons defense and their defensive line. So if I ask who's better or who's going to be better at the end of the year, the defensive line or the secondary with the combination of the upside of the guys, the more guaranteed factor of the players that we have, 
and the Jerry Gray factor when you figure it all in. I'll take that defense. I'll take that defensive secondary. I'll take the secondary as I think that they're going to be the better unit at the end of the day. And look, I mean, there's a lot of upside there. If this group comes together, if Jeff Okuda can really be that linchpin where he can be an, a solid number two cornerback, and obviously he's playing for a contract, if he can be that big solid number two cornerback, sky's the limit on how good this secondary can be. But again, we've got to get those guys up front, putting pressure on quarterbacks, finding a way to come off the edge and sack the quarterback at the end of the day. All right, as you listen in to Hitting Hard, we want you to uh, leave us a comment about that you're an everyday listener to the program. So we want to know who our everydayers are. So we do thank you so much for being a part of our community. And let us know that you're an everydayer to the program. You're listening in five days a week. So we thank you so much for being a part of our show on a daily basis. So the other Arthur spoke yesterday, Arthur Blank, that is. And I think there were a couple of things that, that he said that, that were interesting. So kind of a couple of the sidebars is number one, he talked about the idea that there always is a succession plan that has to be in place in the month of July for NFL owners. So every NFL owner on an annual basis in July has to come up with their succession plan. And he did talk about the idea of things are going to stay in the family for the blank family. So again, we've seen, you know, in, in uh, uh, New Orleans, the Benson family, you know, again, infighting with Gail Benson, the kids, you know, there's been a lot of turmoil, you know, as far as when Tom died. Um, obviously, we saw the Broncos situation, which has been in flux. And obviously, now that they've sold their ownership stake and everything like that. So uh, always, you know, when when you get these billionaire owners and they pass away, you know, I, again, it's not as usually clear cut and dry and things, you know, when, when there's a succession plan as to who's going to take over and this, that, and the other, but Arthur blank made it sound like that. Okay. They're going to keep the franchise in the family. So I guess that's his sons that will be taking over, you know, eventually when Arthur moves on or moves away or passes away or whatever you want to say that, uh, that again, that their sons will do all that. So um, that part was interesting. The other part that was interesting, too, was the fact that he talked about Matt Ryan and, and talked about when Matt Ryan's playing days are over, that he's welcome back here with open arms. And he says that Matt Ryan is going to be be seen often around the Falcons organization in Flowery Branch. And, and I wonder if that does mean that there could potentially be some kind of position whether it's figurehead or something else look say what you will about matt ryan okay and i know matt ryan has his detractors and, and stuff but matt ryan is still the most important falcons player he, he's still the guy who was the linchpin for the greatest period of success in falcons franchise history he's still the most important player of the falcons i'm not telling you he's the best player that's reserved for the Deion uh, Deion sanders and the julio joneses and guys like that but Matt's the most important player in Falcons history and, and what he meant to the franchise and the stability that he brought and the success that he brought. Nobody has ever done that besides Matt Ryan. Nobody has given you the level of success that Matt Ryan has. Yes, I know Mike Vick went to an NFC championship game. Matt did that a couple of times and went to the Super Bowl and was the MVP of the league. But again, we won't get into all those semantics and arguments and different things like that. 
But I do wonder about what the role for Matt Ryan could be in the future. You know, does Matt Ryan want to be a figurehead executive? Does he want to be a coach? Does he want to get involved somehow? So I did think it was interesting that that Arthur brought up Matt Ryan specifically about him being here and, and him being around the organization. And again, he said, you know, you'll see a lot more of Matt Ryan once his playing days are over. So thought that part was interesting. Then obviously too, talking about um, the expectations of this team and obviously, you know, head coach and general manager for this team uh, saying, quote, uh, this is the third uh, this is the third year of a three-year plan and I think what I see and what I like a lot is coach Smith and Terry Fontenot laid out a very careful thoughtful kind of methodical plan of what they were going to do I think we're moving in the right direction this year I expect our team to be even more competitive if you will with the emphasis on the defensive side of the ball during free agency I think we have as many offensive tools as possible as probably most of uh, most if any team in the NFL today. We've got a lot of talent, obviously an experienced offensive line that performed at a high level last year, like we were at. So again, saying all the right things, and obviously you know Arthur is going to support his guys, and obviously you know again this is a team that has expectations to it now. You know I don't know if those are playoff expectations or what i don't think that necessarily it's playoffs or bust for the atlanta falcons we talked about this a few weeks ago that the falcons can still have a successful season even if the playoffs aren't in the picture but certainly that arthur blank is looking at getting back to getting into playoff football right i mean that's that's where you want to be you can't win any championships if you're not in the playoffs at the very start so again had all the right things that he said about this team. Now, talking about the quarterback, and this this one was the one that kind of you know made a little bit of headlines, I guess, if you will. But uh, quote, I like our young quarterback. People look at uh, the just the last four games last year, and they say, well, based on those four games, but he really progressed from the time he came on campus here after he was drafted, had a good camp, and he's been a strong leader since uh, he's grown. He's shown up here continued to develop, worked well with Marcus Mariota, learned a lot from Marcus. He's a learner, and he's got a lot of humility. As the year progressed, he had an opportunity to play, and I think he played at a very competitive level. Those last four games, each game seemed like a uh, to be a little bit better. So we feel pretty strongly that he's going to be our quarterback of the future. We've got to play, uh, we've got to play games, and we've got to see – but we feel good about him. And that's the comment that made the headlines is they feel like that he's the quarterback of the future. Well, why wouldn't they? I mean, why, why would they doubt? And, you know, again, be looking at other quarterbacks. Look again, if things fail and, and things don't work out, then we can get into that discussion. Okay. But you have to put the full force of your resources behind Desmond Ritter this year. You don't have a choice and, and you drafted him to be the you know, possible successor to the Matt Ryan era, but you have to put the full weight of the, the organization behind him to help him succeed. So there's no reason not to do all of that. And there's no reason to question 
again, Marcus Mariota, or sorry, um, Desmond Ritter being the guy that's going to take this franchise over. We knew it wasn't Marcus Mariota. We knew that he was not going to be the guy. And, and their succession plan, you know, again, we've talked about this. The succession plan at quarterback has been nothing but a blow up in their face so far. You know, Deshaun Watson, you know, they looked at him. That whole thing blew up. He went to Cleveland. Marcus Mariota, that blew up in their face. Matt Ryan being here for another year or so, that blew up in their face. So everything that they've done at quarterback to this point has blown up in their face. Hopefully, that won't be the situation with, with Desmond Ritter. Hopefully, that this is going to be some stability now. Because, again, if you can have a rookie quarterback that performs at a high level, you talk about really saving you some money on the cap and really being able to take advantage of that. That's what every team in the NFL is looking for. That's what every team in the league is looking to have is a rookie quarterback that comes in and plays really well. Again, when Russell Wilson plays at the level that he does and he doesn't cost you anything, he costs you, you know, some, some fava beans and rice. I mean, at the end of the day and you save all this money by not having to pay your quarterback because he's on a rookie deal. Again, you can build a dominant roster at that point. You can build a great roster at that point. So again, there's no reason for the organization not to be fully in on Desmond Ritter, not to fully commit all of the resources that they need to him. But again, you know, this this will be a telltale year as to is Desmond Ritter the guy that can handle all of this? Is he the guy that is going to lead this franchise and lead this organization forward? Time will tell. I have faith in Desmond Ritter. I think he's a guy that is a winner and he can lead this organization, but we'll see. That's why they get on the field and, and play the games, you know, at the end of the year. That's why they play 17 games in the regular season to sort all of this kind of stuff out. But again, he is our young quarterback. He is our quarterback of the future. They're going to put the full throat of resources in behind him and let him do his thing. And I'm all for it. I'm all for the Desmond Ritter era being a success and being able to take this thing forward to get us back to winning football and playoff football. All right, thank you so much for making Hit and Hard with John Chuck. When you first listen, be sure to go into whatever podcast platform that you're listening on. Let us know that you're an everyday listener to the program. We do thank you so much for being a part of the show, but let us know that you're an everydayer to the program. We ask you to subscribe or follow for free on YouTube or wherever you listen to your podcast. You can get the latest episodes of Hit and Hard as soon as they become available. Also, check us out on the Sirius XM app and give me a follow on my personal Twitter page at JMCH. 316. Back with you tomorrow. This has been Hitting Hard with John Chuckery, Locked on Sports Atlanta. 